Our scripture reading this morning is going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and we'll be looking at verses 6 through 16. 1 Corinthians 2, verses 6 to 16. Let's all stand together for the reading of God's word. First Corinthians chapter 2, beginning with verse 6. Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them, because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Our Father and our God, we ask now that you would help us as we seek to study this passage of Scripture. Uh, we pray that each one of us would have our eyes opened to the truths that you want to communicate to us through the Holy Spirit in these inspired words that you gave to the Apostle Paul. Pray that you would help each of us to be instructed to learn to grow in our study of your word today. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. You may be seated. As you can probably tell from the passage that we just read, we're going to be considering this morning the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And for many Christians today, I think this is probably a weak point in our theology. Most Christians in churches today, if you were asked to articulate who Jesus is and what he has done, I think most of us could probably give a pretty decent answer to that question. If somebody asked you, uh, tell me about Jesus, what do you know about him, what, what should I know about him? You would probably say something like, Jesus is God, he is the Son of the Father, he became a man through the virgin birth, he lived a sinless life, he died on the cross as our substitute, taking on himself the punishment for our sins. He rose back to life, ascended to heaven, and he's now seated at the right hand of God the Father. He's ruling over the church as the gospel is being spread throughout the world. And one day, he will return to judge the living and the dead and rule forever over his kingdom. I think most of us could respond with something like that, a pretty thorough understanding of who Jesus is and what he has done in our redemption. But I suspect that if someone were to ask many church-going Christians today, who is the Holy Spirit? Tell me what you know about the Holy Spirit. I'm guessing many of us wouldn't do so well with that question. 
We know that the Spirit came on the early Christians on the day of Pentecost in the book of Acts, and we know that somehow he lives within us. Uh, We don't really think much about that. Maybe we don't really know what it is that he does or how he helps us, but uh, we know that he's somehow indwelling Christians. And maybe for some of us, we've had a friend or a family member who told us about a really bizarre experience they had, and they attribute that to the Holy Spirit doing something in them, and that leads to even more confusion. Add to that the fact that many of us grew up with the Old English King James Version of the Bible, which refers often to the Holy Ghost, and that might freak us out a little bit too. Uh, Some then have the idea that the Holy Spirit is sort of like the force in Star Wars, some sort of mysterious, uh, impersonal presence, some sort of power as opposed to a person. And so because we don't really have a clear understanding of who the Holy Spirit is and what he does, many Christians today just sort of minimize the role of the Spirit, and we don't really think much about the Holy Spirit in our daily lives. And that's really a shame. Because as New Testament Christians, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit is the agent of God responsible for our sanctification. In other words, Jesus died for your sins. He intercedes for us before the Father. He is our Lord. But in terms of our day-to-day growth in knowledge, in holiness, in Christ-likeness, the Spirit is the one doing all of that in us. And so recognizing that this may be a little bit of a fuzzy point in our theology for many of us, I thought it would be good before we dive into our text this morning just to give a, a brief overview of how the Bible presents the Holy Spirit in his work in our lives. And I think that'll help us as we then turn to 1 Corinthians 2. It'll make more sense of what Paul is communicating there. To start, let's establish who the Holy Spirit is. And the first point is just that the Holy Spirit is a person, not a force. The Bible presents the Spirit of God having all the attributes of personhood, including a mind, emotions, will, the ability to speak, and so forth. Here are just a few passages of Scripture on this point. Isaiah chapter 63, verse 10 says that they rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit. Therefore, he turned to be their enemy and himself fought against them. So you see there that the Spirit can be grieved. The Spirit is not an impersonal force, but rather is a person with emotions. And when I say person, I don't mean a human being, obviously. Uh, Rather, that the Spirit is a distinct person within the Trinity. God exists as one being and three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. Here's another text showing us that the Spirit is not a, a sort of impersonal force. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 11 says, All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So speaking here of spiritual gifts, Paul says that these abilities are given to each one of us by the Spirit, unless you think of uh, the Spirit then as just sort of the power of God in us or something, it says that the Spirit has a will. He grants these spiritual gifts to each of us as he wills. And so the Spirit acts based upon his volition. One more, Acts 13, verse 2. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. I think we see very clearly in that passage that the Holy Spirit is a person. He speaks. Next, we learn from Scripture 
that the Spirit is God. We could look at several texts on this. Here's just one that is quite clear. Acts chapter 5, verse 3. Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? So you see very clearly Ananias is said to have lied to the Spirit. You turn to verse 4, and at the end of the verse, Peter says to him, you have not lied to man, but to God. So clearly the Holy Spirit is said to be God. Now, way back in the Old Testament, centuries before Pentecost, God promised that one day he would put his spirit within his people. The prophet Ezekiel records for us these words. God is speaking here in Ezekiel 36, verse 26, and he says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So, all the way back in Ezekiel, this is centuries uh, before Pentecost and the outpouring of the Spirit, it was always the plan of God that one day he would do this, that he would put his Spirit within his people, that the Spirit of God within us would cause us to walk in his ways. God's presence would be there in our lives, producing obedience, enabling us to live lives that are pleasing to him. And so the outpouring of the Spirit, where God puts his Spirit within us, took place shortly after the ascension of Christ to heaven. And this was, again, predicted quite a bit by John the Baptist, by Jesus leading up to the day of Pentecost. For example, John the Baptist said, I have baptized you with water. This is Mark 1, verse 8. But he, speaking of Jesus, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is going to come, and John the Baptist says he is going to baptize or immerse his followers with the Holy Spirit. Jesus, toward the end of his earthly ministry, told his followers that this day was coming very soon. Uh, John 16, verse 7, Jesus said to them, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Now, just imagine what it must have been like for the disciples of Jesus to hear him speak those words. Imagine being alive during the earthly ministry of Jesus, was Jesus is walking on the earth. Imagine actually being there, knowing him, hearing him teach. Imagine being one of Jesus' close disciples. You can ask him questions, you can talk to him, you can observe his life. Now imagine Jesus saying to you, I'm going to leave you soon. That would have been very devastating news to these disciples, to think that their Lord, their Master, the one that they had left their jobs and their their lives in order to follow, he was going to be leaving them. And then Jesus says, I'm going to be leaving you soon, and it will be good for you. It will be to your benefit, to your advantage, that I go away. And the reason is, because when I leave, the Spirit will come. Now, most of us would probably rather have Jesus uh, in a human form, because we don't understand the role of the Spirit in our lives. But Jesus says to his disciples, it's going to be better for you. It's going to be to your advantage that he leave and send the Holy Spirit. Now, of course, the fulfillment of this promise of God to send the Spirit, to put His Spirit within us, took place in Acts chapter 2. You can read there about how the Spirit of God fell on the followers of Christ. Uh, This is about 10 days after He ascended to heaven. 
And then throughout the book of Acts, we see in this transitional period after Pentecost that when each person came to faith in Christ, when they repented of their sins, they were given the Holy Spirit. And at first, this happened in very visible outward ways. Uh, They would immediately begin to prophesy or speak in tongues as they're being baptized. Or in the case of Cornelius and his household, even before they were baptized, as they're sitting there hearing the word of God preached to them, the gospel, they believe, and God, uh, you know, he opens their hearts to believe the message, and he gives them the Holy Spirit, and they begin to speak in tongues. This was God's way of showing the early church what was happening, that whenever a sinner turned in faith to Christ, they were given the Spirit of God. And of course, nowadays, that doesn't happen in such visible ways. When you get baptized, you don't come up out of the water speaking in tongues or anything like that. But the reality is still true. All of us who are followers of Christ are given the very same Holy Spirit. We read in 1 John chapter 4, verse 13, By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us his Spirit. So all Christians have been given the Holy Spirit. The promise of God in Ezekiel 36 has been fulfilled. He has put his spirit within his people to cause us to walk in his ways. Romans 8 verse 9, Paul writes, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. This is something Paul is going to emphasize in our text this morning that there are two groups of people. There are those who belong to Christ and they have the Spirit of God within them. And then there are those who are in the flesh, in their natural condition, without the Spirit. Now, of course, this leads to a question. Uh, Why did God give us His Spirit? What exactly is it that the Spirit of God does within us? How is it that, that Jesus can say it will be more beneficial for us to have the Holy Spirit within us than to have Him present? Back to what God said in the Spirit that the Spirit would do in Ezekiel 36, verse 27. He said, I will put my Spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. This is the main function of the Spirit within us. He causes us to obey the commands of God. This is why he's called the Holy Spirit. He is the presence of God in us, making us holy. Not only that, but the Spirit leads us. Romans 8, verse 14, all who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. So Christians are led by this Spirit. He provides guidance to us. And we'll get to later on in the text this morning uh, how he does that specifically. Galatians 5, verse 16, the Spirit also gives us desires for spiritual things. I say, walk in the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. So the Spirit of God, Paul says, is within us, giving us desires for things that are pleasing to God. Galatians 5.22 and following uh, tell us that the Spirit also changes our attitudes. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These are the evidences, the fruit that the Spirit is within you. This is what He does in us. He makes us more loving, more joyful. He increases our peace and our patience. He makes us more kind and faithful and good and gentle and self-controlled. 
These are the evidences that the Spirit is working in your life. And then Romans 8 verse 26 also tells us that the Holy Spirit is with us to help us in times of suffering. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. So the Spirit of God is there to provide help and comfort in times of weakness. This is God's presence with us as we endure trials. There's one more thing we know that the Spirit does in our lives, and this is what Paul is going to tell us in our text. And so with all of that as an introduction, let's look now at 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I think this passage will really open up to us now as Paul is going to tell us another way that the Holy Spirit will change us. Paul has been arguing in the preceding section of this letter to the church of Corinth that the gospel owes nothing to human wisdom. And so far in the letter, Paul has been distinguishing between two groups of people. There are those who are perishing and there are those who are being saved. Those who are called by God to salvation and those who are not. Those who reject the gospel message, they think it's foolish. And then there are those who receive it and are changed by its power forever. Or, as he will say in this section, there are the natural and the spiritual people. The natural person is how all of us start off in life. We're all born natural. It is our natural condition before God puts his spirit within us. It is only when we hear and believe the gospel of Christ and the call of God opens our hearts to believe and repent, then God places his spirit within us. And from that day forward, we are, as Paul would call us here, spiritual people. We're no longer natural. So this is just another way Paul is going to talk about this contrast between these two kinds of people, Christians and non-Christians. Paul also distinguishes in this section between two kinds of wisdom, the wisdom of God and the wisdom of this age, or you could say the wisdom of the world, human wisdom, philosophy. The wisdom of God, as Paul has already said, is wiser than anything the world has to offer. But the wise of the world, the educated, the human philosophers, they consider this wisdom from God to be foolishness. And Paul is going to go on to explain to us this morning why that is. And so we're going to pick up the text beginning with verse 6 of 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Paul writes, Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. Notice the first word of our text, yet. Uh, that word signals to us that Paul is clarifying something in this section. He's said a lot of things in the previous section. Now he says, yet. So he's offering us here a clarification. And what Paul has been writing in the previous section we looked at last week is that the gospel sounds like foolishness to the world. He said that they do not, uh, that, that when, when Paul and the apostles went around preaching the message of Jesus, they didn't present the gospel with wisdom or eloquence. When he came to Corinth, he wasn't trying to convince them to abandon their sin and idolatry and follow Christ through his own eloquence or his brilliant human philosophy. Rather, Paul says that he simply came and presented the gospel of Jesus' death and resurrection. And he did so specifically so that their faith would not rest in his brilliance or his cleverness as a speaker, but in the power of God that had called them to salvation. 
Paul had also said in that section that God had not chosen to save many wise. He had chosen primarily common, ordinary people. Now, all of that might lead you to think that Christianity is a religion of nonsense, that only uneducated fools would believe. You might think Paul is basically saying that you have to set aside your logic and your brain and just embrace this message of foolishness in order to be a Christian, as if faith is opposed to reason. In order to be a Christian, you just have to believe stuff that really is illogical and ridiculous. And so lest you come away with that idea, Paul wants to clarify in this section of the, of the letter that among the mature, we do impart wisdom. Christianity does have wisdom to offer. In fact, it is a wisdom that will help us to make far more sense of the world than we could possibly have outside of Christ. And at this point, Paul will distinguish between two more groups. This is a subset of Christians. These are within the spiritual group, within those who have been called to belong to Christ. Paul says there are mature Christians and there are immature Christians. In the next chapter, Paul will refer to the immature Christians at Corinth as infants in Christ, baby Christians. They are saved, they have the Spirit, but they haven't matured, they haven't grown spiritually to the point of being able to understand and receive the wisdom that God wants to give them. So whereas last week Paul was talking primarily about the preaching of the gospel, a Christians sharing the message of Jesus with non-Christians, and he said that this was a simple message that sounds like foolishness to the wisdom of the age, here in this section, now he's talking about discipleship. He's talking about what we're doing right now, what we do every Sunday and every Wednesday when we gather as a church. Now that God has called us through the simple gospel message and given us his spirit, now we are capable of receiving all of the wisdom that God wants us to have. God is way beyond our capacity to grasp. No matter how wise humans may think that we are, no matter how educated a person may be, they will not know God through their own reasoning. The only way we know God is if he reveals himself to us. And Paul says that God reveals himself first through the preaching of the simple gospel message. And then when God calls us to repent and believe that message and we turn in faith to Christ, God puts his spirit within you. And one of the functions of the spirit within us is to cause us to understand him, to understand his ways. Now that your eyes have been opened and the spirit of God is within you, now you have the ability to understand God's revelation. This is the wisdom that God gives increasingly to us as we mature spiritually. You notice there in verse 6 that Paul refers to the rulers of this age. And these rulers are clarified in verse 8 as those who crucified Jesus. These would be the religious leaders of Jerusalem. You remember from our study of Luke a few years ago how Jesus repeatedly prophesied that Jerusalem would be destroyed, that the temple would be demolished, that the rulers of Judaism would be overthrown, and it would happen within the lifetime of his followers. You can read about that in Luke chapter 21. Jesus said that Jerusalem would be surrounded by Roman armies, that not one stone of the temple would be left on the other. It would all be thrown down and destroyed. He said that Jerusalem would be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles. And at that time, 
the priests, the leaders of Judaism, were going to lose all of their power. It was God's judgment against them for their rejection and murder of the Messiah that God had sent to them. And this is what Paul is hinting at here when he says, the rulers of this age are doomed to pass away. Verse 7, we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. This wisdom of God was hidden and secret, meaning it was beyond the ability of humans to understand by our own reasoning and philosophy. But it was always the plan of God to reveal himself to man, to have a relationship with us. He wanted us to know him. Ever since the Garden of Eden, man's sins have separated us from God. And God in his wisdom decreed that one day Christ would come dying for our sins so that we could be redeemed to our creator. We could be reconciled to him. And now that the time has been fulfilled and the revelation of God in Christ is being preached throughout the world as Paul is writing this letter, the mysteries of God were being revealed in the New Testament era. Verse 8, Paul continues, None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So Paul says the religious leaders who were supposed to know the word of God, they did not understand who Christ was. They didn't understand what it was that he was accomplishing. All of them, with all of their education and knowledge of the Old Testament, they missed it. None of them understood. And why didn't they understand? Well, as Paul is going to go on to explain, man in his natural state cannot understand these things. It is only possible to understand these spiritual truths when God opens our eyes to see and our hearts to believe. And to these religious leaders in Jerusalem, God had not called them. He had not opened their hearts to understand. This reminds me of what Jesus said in Matthew 13. The disciples came and they said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? And that's a good question. Parables are often cryptic and hard to understand. Why don't you just speak plainly, Jesus? Why are you communicating truths through the, these parables? And Jesus answers them, verse 11, to you, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. So to you, to those called by God, it has been given to understand. Verse 13, this is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Mankind in his sin has no capacity to hear and understand the mysteries of the kingdom of God. And so Jesus spoke intentionally in cryptic parables in order to reveal things to his disciples while concealing them from the religious leaders. They did not understand who Christ was because they could not. They were blind to the truth, and it had not been given to them to see. To the followers of Christ, God had opened their hearts to see and hear and believe. We saw already explained in the previous section of 1 Corinthians we studied last week, Paul said that the preaching of the gospel was foolishness to some, but to those whom God was calling, to those whom God's heart uh, those whose hearts God had opened, they respond to that same message with faith and repentance. And so the rulers of the Judaic age did not understand who Jesus was. 
They didn't get the importance of his kingdom, what God was doing through Christ. Back to our text, verse 9. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. There may not be a verse in the Bible that is more frequently misinterpreted and taken out of context than this verse. If you grew up in church as I did, you likely heard this verse, and it was often quoted as referring to heaven. As if Paul is saying, we cannot imagine how wonderful heaven is going to be. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor, no, no heart has even imagined the things that God is preparing for us in heaven. That is not at all what Paul is talking about. First of all, our eternal destiny as Christians isn't heaven. Scripture teaches us that at the end of human history, after the gospel has been preached throughout the world, that Christ will return and redeem the world. Creation will be made new, and we will be given immortal bodies. We will rise again from the dead. This is Paul's point in 1 Corinthians 15, that just like Jesus rose from the dead and was given a new body, the same is our future. Excuse me. Our hope is not to float around in heaven as a spirit forever. Uh, No, as Christians, our hope is a resurrection. We will be given physical bodies, redeemed from sickness and pain and death and sin. And we will live forever on a new earth, a redeemed world with Christ ruling over all the world from his throne in Jerusalem. That is the future that we look forward to. But beyond that, Paul is not even talking here about eternity. He's not talking about life after death. He's talking about things God has revealed to us now in this life. Notice the next verse. So after he says these things that nobody could imagine, no eye has seen, no, no ear has heard, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. So Paul is not talking here about how we can't imagine how great heaven is going to be. This verse has nothing to to do with the afterlife at all. It is rather talking about the revelation, the full revealing of God to man. How no human through wisdom or philosophy is able to know and understand God. But rather, God has revealed these things that were hidden to our human understanding. God has revealed them to us now through his spirit. Things that the rulers of Judaism, the most educated religious leaders, did not understand. God has revealed these things to us, and he has done this through the Spirit. This is why Pentecost was such a big deal. This is why Jesus said it would be better for them that he go away. Because as Jesus was with them, we often see the disciples of Christ totally not understanding what he was trying to teach them. They often missed Jesus' point in the words that he spoke. After the Spirit came, their eyes were opened to see, to hear, and to understand. And now that we have the Spirit of God within us, he teaches and helps us to understand more and more what it looks like for us to live as citizens of the kingdom of Christ in this world. Even the depths of God. Things far beyond the ability of humans to comprehend God has revealed these things to us. Verse 11. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? 
so also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Who knows you better than anyone else? You do. There are things about you that only your spirit knows. And in the same way, nobody knows God like God's own spirit. And so the Spirit of God has been given to us as the agent of the revelation of God to us. Verse 12, Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. So this is one of the main reasons that God has put his Spirit within us. One of the functions of the Holy Spirit in our lives is to cause us to understand the things freely given us by God. Now, what are these things? What is Paul talking about here when he says things freely given us by God? Or to ask it another way, how is it that the Spirit does this? How does the Spirit cause us to understand this wisdom, these things that God wants us to know? Does he whisper in our ear? Uh, do, we have, do we have visions and dreams? Do we have weird feelings that indicate that God is trying to speak something to us? And here's where I think a lot of people get confused. They read these passages about the Spirit revealing things to us, and they think this happens through some sort of bizarre experience. But Paul tells us exactly how it happens in the next verse, verse 13. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Now, as you read that first phrase in verse 13, Ask yourself, who is the we and what is the this? Okay, Paul says, we impart this. Well, in order to understand what he's talking about, we have to get clarity on what those things are referring to. Who is the we? Well, clearly, the we includes Paul. He is speaking of himself and others as imparting something. Now, what is the this? What is it that Paul is imparting or communicating or giving? Well, if you look at the previous verse... It has to be referring to the things freely given us by God. So whatever Paul is talking about here in verse 13, this is how God has chosen to reveal himself to us. He gave us as Christians the Spirit so that we could understand things freely given us by God. And those things, Paul says, we are imparting in words. He's talking here about the New Testament, the teaching and doctrines of the apostles. That's the we, the apostles of Christ. These are the things that were hidden in the previous age, the Judaic age. But now, after the resurrection of Christ and the sending of the Spirit, Paul is saying these mysteries are being revealed through us, through the apostles. Right after the Spirit came on the church at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, at the end of the chapter, we read this about the first church there in Jerusalem. It says in verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. You see the emphasis there on the teaching and doctrine of the apostles, those that God had chosen specifically and appointed as leaders over the early church. The church was built on the doctrine of these apostles. And I would submit to you that what Paul means in 1 Corinthians 2 when he says that we, the apostles, impart in words the things God has freely given to us, Paul is basically saying here that God has given you the Spirit so you can understand the teachings of us apostles, which is the revelation of God in Christ. 
Notice Paul continues in verse 13. We impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Notice that Paul says these words that he and the other apostles are giving us, the revelation of God, it was not taught by human wisdom, but it was taught by the Spirit. So the words of the New Testament that Paul and the others are writing He's saying it isn't just our own philosophy about the world. We aren't coming up with this stuff. It's not the product of human wisdom. Rather, they are communicating words that they themselves were taught by the Spirit of God. And this is exactly how the early church understood all of Scripture. Peter said that the Old Testament Scriptures in, in 2 Peter uh, chapter 1, verse 20, he says, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So the church understood that these words they were reading in the Old Testament, they were the very words of God. No human being came up with them. The prophets of the Old Testament wrote as they were being guided by the Spirit of God. In other words, what they wrote was God's revelation of himself through the Holy Spirit. And the same thing is happening here in the New Testament through the apostles whom Christ had chosen. God is revealing things to these apostles by the Spirit, which they were now communicating to the church. They were imparting to these early Christians words, in words, the revelation of God, the things freely given through the Spirit. This is exactly what Jesus told his apostles would take place. John 16, verse 12, Jesus had said to them, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. So Jesus says, I have a lot more to teach you. The apostles had much more they needed to understand. But he says, I'm not going to tell you all of that now because they would not have understood these things that Jesus told to teach them because they didn't yet have the Spirit. Verse 13, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He's going to give you the full revelation of what God wants his followers to know. For he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So the spirit taught the apostles that Christ had appointed over the church, and he revealed things to them, and then those apostles taught those things that had been given to them by God to the church, and they wrote them down in the letters that we call today the New Testament. This is the revelation of God that Paul is talking about. And so Paul is saying to these Corinthian Christians and to you and I today, now that you have the Holy Spirit, you have within you the ability to read and understand these things that have been freely given us by God. Back to verse 13. We impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Now, there is a translation difficulty there at the end. Interpreting spiritual to spiritual is literally what the Greek says, and so it's somewhat of an interpretive guess what the phrase means. Here's another way you could understand it. The NLT says, When we tell you these things, we do not use words that come from human wisdom. Instead, we speak words given to us by the Spirit, using the Spirit's words to explain 
spiritual truths. So if that's the right idea, the right understanding of that phrase, Paul is basically saying that as you and I read the pages of 1 Corinthians, we are receiving from the Spirit of God, through Paul, revelation of our Creator. We're learning wisdom, the secret knowledge that God has given to us. This is why Scripture should always be the most important source of knowledge we look to. If we want to know the wisdom of God, if we want the Holy Spirit to communicate things to us, to help us mature spiritually, to learn and grow, we should turn to Scripture. It should direct and inform everything else in our lives. And we should develop, over time as we grow in Christ, a biblical worldview. Because this is what it means to think like God, to view the world as he views it. It is in the pages of Scripture that we have the mind of God revealed to us. So how is it that the Holy Spirit sanctifies us, makes us holy, Jesus said in his prayer in John 17, sanctify them in the truth, your word is truth. It is through reading Scripture and the Spirit opening our minds to understand that we receive the wisdom that God wants us to have. And this revelation of God changes our thinking and changes our lives. Verse 14 of our text, Paul continues, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. He is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Here we're back to the point Paul had made in the previous section. Non-Christians do not have the capacity to understand this revelation of God because they don't have the Spirit. So Paul says that the teaching of the apostles in the early church was considered by the world around them to be folly. It is folly to them. They could not understand it because these things are spiritually discerned. Without the Spirit enabling us to understand the teaching of the apostles, it wouldn't make sense. Speaking to a natural person about Christian teaching is like trying to describe a sunset to a blind man. It will never make sense to them. They cannot understand it until their eyes are opened. Verse 15. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Paul says that the person with the Spirit, the spiritual person, judges all things, meaning he is able to discern things. He has a means of properly evaluating. And this extends to all areas of life. Notice Paul says he judges all things. The Christian in whom is the Spirit of God now has a point of reference to understand all of reality. He has a whole new perspective, a whole new worldview. I remember some years ago when I was a teenager, my family was down in Colorado Springs, and my dad was on the phone with someone. I think it was my aunt. Uh, I think we were headed to her house. She lived down there. And this was before the days of GPS on your phone and that sort of thing. And so she was on the phone with my dad explaining to him how to get to her house, trying to figure out where we were, how to get from there to where she lives. If you've ever been to Colorado Springs, it is a city situated right next to an enormous mountain range, the tallest of which is Pikes Peak. And no matter where you are in the city, you can always just look up and see this, just, it's unfathomable how large these mountains are coming up out of nowhere. 
Uh, here's a picture of what it looks like. And so when my aunt was giving my dad instructions about how to get to her house, they were trying to figure out where we were and what direction we were headed. And so she just asked him, well, where are the mountains? What side of the car are they on? What street are you at? And dad said, well, the mountains are on our left, you know, and then she said, oh, okay, so you need to go this way, drive, you're going east, uh, turn this way, and then you'll see my street, whatever. The mountains provided a point of reference that made it very easy to give directions. And that's how it is when you come to Christ and you begin to mature spiritually and understand God and his ways. You now have a point of reference that influences and directs how you view everything else in life. The person with the Spirit of God within them can evaluate all things. We have a means of properly assessing things because, as Paul says, we have the mind of Christ. He has become to us wisdom from God. Back to verse 15, the spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. So Paul is saying the spiritual person is able to properly understand all things because God has revealed so much to him. Meanwhile, those without the Spirit are not able to understand the person with the Spirit. To them, his life and worldview and decisions don't make any sense. They don't get his perspective. But his perspective is actually wisdom from God. I think the NET does a good job of translating this. It says, the one who is spiritual discerns all things, yet he himself is understood by no one. So now that we have the Spirit, Paul is saying we have within us the ability to discern and evaluate all things. God's full revelation, everything he wants us to know and understand. We have this because of the Spirit who is in us revealing things to us as we read Scripture. And it changes how we view everything, how we evaluate all of life. Our eyes are opened and we begin to think like God. We have the mind of Christ. But we out, ourselves are not understood by those outside of Christ. Do you ever feel out of step with the world's thinking today? If you do, good. <laughs> because this passage says God's wisdom is diametrically opposed to human wisdom. Those without the Spirit will never understand those who have the Spirit. Our whole perspective and worldview is incomprehensible to them. So don't be surprised when people in the culture around you don't understand why you think the way you do, why you care so much about things like abortion, why you think men and women should embrace how God made us instead of rebelling against his design. Don't be surprised when the world doesn't understand your view of things like marriage between a man and a woman. We will never be on the same page with the unsaved world. Not until God calls them to salvation and gives them his spirit to cause them to understand God and his ways. Don't be surprised. And also don't be ashamed. Sometimes as Christians in a world of godlessness, you might be made to feel like you're the crazy one. But Paul is saying you're not. The world is blind. And the more the world strays from God the more craziness we can expect to see all around us. And the only solution to the problem is God opening hearts, putting his spirit within them. When the world says things like, you shouldn't discipline your children because they will resent you for it. It'll cause some sort of trauma in them. Ignore the world 
And remember that God's wisdom in Proverbs says you must discipline children. When the world laughs at the idea of roles for men and women in marriage that God has designed us for, ignore the world. These things seem like foolishness to the natural man, but look around at the results of the worldly wisdom. Look at the divorce rate. Look at the rates of depression and suicide. The world's philosophy isn't working. What the Bible says is true wisdom from God, no matter how out of step biblical teaching may be with the world's thinking. No matter how much they may laugh at us and think we're foolish, out of touch, old-fashioned, Paul reminds us we have the mind of Christ. The wisdom of God is wiser than man. Now, don't let this make you think you're better than everyone else because you're a Christian. This new understanding that you have through God's Spirit, remember, you get no credit for any of this. God chose you. He called you. He opened your heart to understand the gospel. He is the one who gives you wisdom through his spirit, which he has put within you. And he does this through his word. So all the praise belongs to him for all of it. We would be lost without God's revelation of himself to us. And really, this serves as a launch pad into the rest of the issues that Paul is going to talk about in the book of 1 Corinthians. Because the rest of the letter is about how God and his ways and the wisdom of God revealed to us in Scripture should influence all of our lives. How it should change the way we interact with the world. How it should change our priorities, our lifestyles, our habits, our behaviors. And so Paul is going to basically take this principle of you have the mind of Christ, you ought to be thinking completely differently than the world around you. And then he applies it to every area of their lives. So, so far, Paul has said in this letter to the Corinthians, wisdom is not the tool that brings people into the kingdom. It's not through human eloquence or philosophy. It is rather a simple gospel message of Jesus' death and resurrection. But, here's the clarification, after God has called people into his kingdom and given them his spirit, they do now receive true wisdom from God. Christianity isn't a religion of nonsense. Regardless of how we may be perceived from the world's perspective, we have the mind of Christ. We, through the Spirit within us, have the ability to understand reality properly. We have the truth. We have Scripture. We have a point of reference. We can discern what life is all about, what right and wrong are, what leads to human flourishing, and even how to define that. When you become a Christian, you not only have your sins forgiven and eternal life in the kingdom of Christ awaiting you, but you also get the Holy Spirit to teach you and make you into the person God has called you to be. And this is a wonderful gift of grace. God walking uh, th through life with us. Ephesians 1 verse 15 and following. Paul says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, Remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might." I hope you understand now who the Spirit is and what his work in you is all about. I hope you see why this is such a gift to us. 
that God has chosen to dwell within his people. He has opened our hearts to receive his truth and to learn of him and his ways. And he is with us as we seek to study the word of God and learn these spiritual truths that he has for us. He is there within us, teaching us, instructing us through his word. He gives us help. He gives us comfort. He guides us through life. He changes our attitudes and our thinking, and he makes us holy. And he reveals to us the true wisdom from God. Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But, as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. 